Hello? <laughs> just trying to test. I just want to make sure that you could hear me. Is that better? Yeah. Normally, I sit down there, right in the corner there. When I look from there, it's completely different. If you sit here, the church looks big. <laughs> yeah, Barry has told me that uh, if you could teach kids, he said, adults is easy. So I thought I'll bring my PowerPoint with me. <laughs> but I, don't worry, Leon, I did myself. <laughs> but I normally, this is the, the theme that I'm going to talk today is Israel asks for a king. If you turn into your Bibles, iPhones, iPads, whatever you have, to chapter 8 of First Samuel, First Samuel, chapter 8, and we're going to read the first seven verses. I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I just pray, Lord, that you speak to us today, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you just be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel, chapter 8, verses 1 to 7. Now it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah, and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel Pray to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Now, this story is a second-hand story to you. I have done this with kids. They seem that they liked it, so I thought, Hello, <laughs> they are there. <laughs> if, you, if you look at the Israelites from the time when they were in Egypt, the Exodus, you see that the Lord has been with them, helped them get out of Egypt. We have the ten plagues. And there were just miracles that, that happened. And through, through the history, you, you see the leading of Joshua when uh, the walls of Jericho fall. And uh, you see that the sun stops for them to revenge over the enemy. It's just, you can see continually the Lord leading them. So you can see that from that point, the Lord had taken the kingship over Israel. So it was the Lord telling Moses what to do, but the Lord was the one that was taking the glory. If you look at the story of Gideon, I think the fighting men of the enemy were about 135,000, and uh, Gideon had 32,000. And the Lord said, ha, oh, so many of them, I can't really deal with this. Whoever is afraid, just send them home. And 22 of them are scared, so all of them run away home. There were 10,000, Lord said, hmm, 10,000. Still too many of them. Tested them by drinking water. Whoever used their hand kept them. And there were only 300. Now, it was, if you take one, Israelites was against 450 of the enemy. You just think, how could 
possibly this happen? Because the battle belongs to the Lord, not to Israelites. It wasn't the 300, it was the Lord that, that fought for them. So we can see that the Lord was always... I mean, so many other things happened, but I'm not going to take <laughs> the whole <laughs> Old Testament in here. But so many things happened, and you can see that the Lord was always with the Israelites, leading them, protecting them, fighting for them, doing everything, blessing them. And it, they come to the point when they say, Lord, they say to Samuel, actually not to the Lord, to find us a king that leads us like the other nations. A question for us, what is there in the world that takes us our attentions and we say, wow, look. Do we look back in our lives and see what the Lord has done for us? I mean, I'm just going to tell you a little bit of my background sort of thing. I was born in Kosovo in a Muslim family. And uh, as I was growing up a kid, I even started going to the mosque. I wanted to be a very, very devoted to, to tradition, to the religion, whatever was there going. I was thinking, well, just to be involved, to, to get better and better. And as I was going to the mosque, after school, half an hour in the mosque, but the imam was a little bit, I wasn't very happy with him. <laughs> I tell you what. One day he made me say some Arabic words, and I had no idea how to pronounce them. And the imam was crossed with me, and I was not happy with him. So he kept me half an hour later, and I was not happy. And he said, the next time, we're going to do the same. And the next time, didn't happen. <laughs> because I didn't go there again. <laughs> so I didn't go there, but I still remember his face, his, his old face tell me to speak Arabic. I didn't need to speak Arabic. I mean, I still remember his face, but it's good because I live here now and he's dead, so I'm not scared of him anymore, but I, I still remember that, that pressure. You, you've got to do this. You, you, you're saying it wrong. And I was thinking, that, that didn't sound right. And then there was a war in Kosovo. I'm not going to go through that. Skip that. And then the Lord sends missionaries from America, and they speak to me about Jesus. And I was thinking, this sounds good. What a big hero this man is. I mean, the cross, dying. Didn't understand it fully, but I said, yes, sounds cool, sounds good. I'm up for it. And they gave me a Bible in my own language, and they said, read the Gospel of John. Every time I was reading it, it was better and better. And I was growing in faith, and I said, yes, Lord, you are in my heart. I believe Jesus was in my heart. But there was something that was holding me back, though. It was the world. It was like, ah, oh, yes, Jesus in my heart, but, you know, when you're young, you think that you are the cleverest and you, you know everything. I was thinking, I am a young boy here. I'm quite clever, why don't I find a solution? So, to make everybody happy, I keep Jesus in my heart. And I keep the tradition in the other side. I go to church with the church people, happy. And then I go to the world with the world's people, happy. And that way, win-win situation. Everybody happy. Best of both, 50-50. But the truth is that I wasn't happy in the church and I wasn't happy out of, outside of the church. Neither of them was fully there. And then, and then I met a young 
lady. She was so beautiful. She was never seen a girl like that ever since or after. And she was so clever, so talented, and she was so devoted to the Lord. Yeah, I married her after a few years, Sarah. <laughs> but I remember, yeah, this one is made by Sarah, that picture there. She, she's very good at drawing. She drew me a picture. It was like two worlds, but there was a bridge. You couldn't go from this to the other unless you go through that bridge. And that bridge, she made like clear cross, she said. The cross takes you there, nothing else. And I was thinking, yes, all this struggling that I'm going through. Yes, Jesus in my heart, but trying to please everybody else around and trying to be cool in the other side. It didn't work. I wasn't happy in any in any way. But when I decided to say, okay, the cross is the one, that changed everything. So the cross before me, the world behind me. The song says three times, and no turning back, no turning back. So, yeah, look up to that cross. Now, I've got some kind of examples here that uh, I was going to talk about. It is in uh, at work. When I go to work, I work with lots of people, and there is a Polish guy. His name is Kasper. Kasper is a Catholic, but I have encouraged him to read the Bible more and more, and he's reading it, and as he's reading it, we are getting closer into everything that we are, we are discussing. And one day, we, we had some troubles at work. We had targets. We have targets to do every, every day. We make fire detectors. But because we, were, we had some troubles, we couldn't sort the whole machinery, we were behind. Now, Casper was between me and an old Englishman. We had to rush to reach the targets. The English old man says to Casper, what is this rush? Why do you worry this much? Do you know that if you rush, catch up with the target, they are not going to pay you any more. And if you don't do it, they are not going to pay you any less. And once the day is over, you're going to forget about this. So why are you trying? On the other side, I was telling him, Casper, do not listen to him. This is not the attitude that you should have. We are here to work. We are not here to... Anyway... Casper came up with something. He said, I feel like a cartoon character stuck between an angel and the devil. And the devil is tempting. It was tempting him. Because <laughs> that's what the world does, doesn't it? it? Tempts us. It's okay. It's okay. It's fine. Don't worry that much because in the end of the day, it won't matter that much, would it? But yeah, Casper didn't listen to him. He listened to me. <laughs> but yeah, I was... Uh, just going to read the verse, Romans 12, 2, when it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So it is not that we should conform to the world. We are to transform by the renewing of our minds. I mean, the world, when you look at it, you just think, sometimes they look cool, maybe. And when we try and be like them, we say, oh, how cool they look. I wish I was there. I wish I could do that. I wish. And we try so hard. And as we try, we change our lifestyle. We sort of go into that system of living. Everything we do, and once we think that that's it, we are there, we look at them. They have moved on. They don't stay there. So we are forever chasing the world, and we'll never catch up with them. Because... We are not of the world. 
John 15:19 says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you not of the world, therefore the world hates you. So we are not of the world. So whatever you do to please the world, it is not going to happen. It's not going to work. It's just that it's going to slow us down in our walk with the Lord. Another example with Casper, because I've been working with him a bit lately. Yeah, there is a young Englishman. He likes provoking people. Now, I was working, and he was saying, Islam and Christianity, they are the same. I said, what is this young man talking about? And he kept going and going. But you know when you speak to some, about somebody and you want that person to hear you, but you can't really go into their face. So I was like sitting three or four people between us, and he was going, they are the same, aren't they? Talking to them, but look at me, looking at me there. And I was thinking, yes, I can see what you, <laughs> what you want. You just want an argument, because you know that I'm a Christian. And by the end of the day, we, midday, actually, we had to change around, so I knew that I was going to be working next to him. So I thought just five minutes earlier, I said, and what makes you think that they are the same? Said, because they are religions. That, that's not what makes them the same. Come on, give me something. Do you know anything about Christians? He said, no, really, I haven't read the Bible. I know much about them. He said, do you know anything about Islam, about Muslims? He said, well, not really. And that was a time where uh, the terrorists were all those terrorist attacks in Manchester. And, and I was thinking, do you know that? I asked him, do you know that I am a Christian? He said, yes. He said, do you know that I was a Muslim? And then I became a Christian afterwards. He said, mm, no, I didn't know that. He said, well, you're talking to the right guy then. He said, because in two minutes, I'm going to come and sit next to you, and we'll have a chat about it. If, you, if you're willing to listen, we have four hours left. Plenty of time to go through that. And that's what happened. I spoke to him, and uh, by the end of the day, he had a different opinion. He never said that again. But on Thursday, he was working with Casper. Now, Casper, because he's reading the Bible, he's, you can see that the attacks are on him. The same person was doing that to, to Casper. And uh, I had warned Casper that you might, they will provoke you. But uh, he's a big boy. I mean, he's just a little bit younger than me. Just about 11 years, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, Casper sits with me because when it is sunny outside, I go outside of the, of the canteen. I like sitting in the sun on my own. Casper comes and speaks to me. Talk about God. Talk about pure things. Leave the world behind. But that day, Casper was under pressure because he had that conversation with, with them. And when he came outside, he really, really touched me. He said, I, I asked him, I said, what was, how did the conversation go? He said, well, it wasn't as bad as I thought. He said, it was more of like a conversation rather than a debate. And I said, uh, so you, you're happy? He said, yeah, yes, it's good. He said, but I've got something to say to you. He said, well, he said, you and me, talk a lot about God and we have our differences he said my friend it is you and me against the world he said it is us against them and it really touched me I was thinking he's getting there but it is true that it is us <laughs> against them it's, the world system is not the one that we really want to to go into it and uh, I was just going to read the verses of First John 2 15 to 17 if you want to turn there it's okay <laughs> if not 1 John 2 15 to 17 it says do not love the world 
or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So Israelites wanted a king. And the king that they wanted, they, they're going to have the king. The Lord will let that happen. They will have the king. But it is the king that they're going to have is after their own heart, not after God's heart. Is they wanted the king, they're going to have a king. And you think this may be upset God a little bit, saying, come on, guys, how much I've done for you? And you're actually rejecting me and asking for the king? Do you really think this is fair? I mean, aren't I the Lord? But nothing surprises God. If you go and have a look at Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 to 15. It says, when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over yourself, over you, whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brothers you shall set as a king over you. You may not set a foreign over you who is not your brother. So simply the Lord knew that the day will come where they would want a king. And the Lord was preparing their hearts. I mean, they, they had the desire in their heart to have the king. But they were just a little bit too rushed. They just, the desire is there. Come on, let's do it. And the Lord says, you've got to wait on the Lord. It's not always, I want it all and I want it now. That just doesn't, doesn't work. You have to wait because the, the God's timing is the perfect timing. So, yeah, but uh, Saul gets, becomes a king. Now, Saul, the Bible says that this, the Saul, this is the man after the Israelites' hearts. It's not after God's heart. But he, he was a little bit, no, he couldn't really wait for things. He's just like the nation of Israel. He, he had that, that urge, I want it, and I want it now. But Samuel had told Saul, in seven days I'll come and we'll set, we will offer a burnt offering. So you wait for me, because it wasn't king's job to do it. But uh, Saul was a little bit uh, rushed. He waited for six days and Samuel didn't come. And the seventh day, Samuel wasn't still there. Now the the surrounding of uh, Saul was that Philistines were attacking. They were coming closer and closer. And the Israelites were so scared, they started running, hiding into the caves. Now, Samuel, uh, Saul's eyes, rather. Saul's eyes were focused on the circumstances, looking around. Everything is happening. The enemy is attacking. People are leaving me. I'm on my own. Samuel is not here. He said, bring it to me and I will offer the burnt offering. Just as he did that, Samuel shows up, shows up rather, and says, what you did, it wasn't right. And Samuel tells him that if you would, would have kept the command of the Lord, your, kin- your kingdom would have been established forever over Israel. So even though Saul wasn't, uh, was after people's heart, that wasn't what God wanted for them, 
still God gave him a chance. Said that if you would have just kept what the Lord told you to. But he didn't. And because of that, the kingdom was taken away from him. The Lord says to Samuel, get up, Samuel, and go to the house, to go to Bethlehem, to Jesse. Because amongst his sons I have found one. One of his sons is going to be the king that I've chosen for myself. Now, Samuel goes all the way to Bethlehem, to Jesse, and the sons come in one by one. Now, when uh, when the first son comes in, Eliab, uh, if I'm pronouncing it right, anyway, the first son, <laughs> Samuel thought that this is the one that God has chosen. Does he look like a true leader to Samuel? Now, when I, when I spoke about Saul, Saul was really, really good looking. He was tall. His head and shoulders, the Bible says, was over all the, the people around. And he was very handsome. Now, I wanted to, I, I was trying, when I spoke to kids, I was trying, how do I make this really visible to kids? And I said, he was tall and he was handsome. He said, he was almost like me looking. All the kids laughed. Thinking, he said, and he was told, yes, tall and handsome. And they laughed even more. And I thought, okay, this is, if it's not working with kids, it's not going to work with adults. He was nothing like me. <laughs> But yeah, Saul was big. And now Samuel sees the first son of Jesse come in and he thinks, wow, look at him. The Lord says, Sammy, Sammy, we have been there. Ain't going to happen. Because Saul was big and everything, but that wasn't after God's heart. So sons go one by one in, and none of them is the chosen one. Seven of them. Samuel gets... Lord, you said that one of them is going to be, and all of them here. What's, what's going on here? What's happening? And he asked Jesse, is that all the sons you have? He says, oh, I have another one, the youngest one, the small one, the red-headed one. He's with the sheep there. He says, bring him. And when he comes, he is the one. He is David. He is the one after God's heart. But uh, you see that David was right where he should be, the shepherd with the sheep. Doing his job properly, staying there, spending time with the sheep, it's amazing. But uh, when Samuel sees the firstborn, and he sees that th- he thinks that this is the one, God gives him a really, really good lesson. There is a verse that I'm going to read, or two. It's a good lesson for them, and it is a good lesson for us. It's in First uh, Samuel, chapter 16. I'm going to read. Uh, Verses 6 and 7. First Samuel 16, verses 6 and 7. So, so it was when they came that he looked at Eli- Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Isn't that amazing that the Lord looks at our hearts? Appearance doesn't really matter that much. But yeah, this is the king after God's heart. But uh, what's the matter, though, if, if you just think, yes, the king, that uh, they want the king and this rush. It is all about waiting on the Lord. Because if we rush it, we are all going to end up where we shouldn't be. I mean, if you just think, 
if you walk with the Lord, you do things in God's timing, and everything is going to be perfect. But if we, if you, if we, if I decide to go ahead, the Lord is here, and we go ahead, we are going to end up with a soul instead of a David. And that's not what we want to do. Or we can end up with an Ishmael instead of an Isaac. And uh, God's timing is perfect timing. And just think, I'm going to just take an, another simple example. Anybody knows here that I make pizzas? <laughs> yeah, I, I am a, I'm trained to make pizzas, so I do cook pizzas. And uh, sometimes as I'm cooking them, James and Caitlin can smell it. Now, I'm cooking that for them, of course, but they can smell it. And the desire is there. They want it. And they come, can we just have it now? Now, if I want them to sort of kill, the, you know, to, to make them not have the big appetite for the, for the dinner and give them some biscuits or some toast or something, they are going to lose the appetite. When the pizza is coming out, they are not going to be that excited. They are not going to really enjoy it. But if I tell them, wait, because it's just getting ready for you. Soon it's going to be there. The appetite is fully there. And when it comes there, they will enjoy it. So always waiting for, for the Lord. Right. In this, uh, in this teaching, or <laughs> how we call it, I really had two points. As I said, I spoke to the kids and spoke to me. And kids were happy. And the time came to, to come in front of you, I thought, the best way to do it is just take that, what spoke to me, hopefully will speak to you. And I took really two points out of this. One is uh, Israel asking for the king, but there was the wrong reason and the wrong timing. The wrong reason because they wanted to be like the other nations, and we are not like the other nations. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, not conformed to the world. And the other one, timing, timing is crucial that we don't go ahead of the Lord and end up with Saul instead of David, or, as I said, Ishmael instead of Abraham. So many other examples that we could probably take. But uh, this is what I have for you. I was just going to say to you, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your hearts. And I'm just going to close it now. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to us, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you be with us, Lord, this week, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Lord, reigns in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. Oh, God bless. Thank you, Elia. You know, that's, that's a message that we all need because, you know, for us as a fellowship, there is always a desire and a temptation to want to be like other churches. So we look at other fellowships, um, you know, and we, we, we've got to seek what God wants uh, for each of us. Uh, as a fellowship, but also down on a personal level. Um, you know, just take that at home, pray about it. You know, are there things in your life that maybe you're striving for something and maybe that's not the right thing at the right time? Um, so there's a lot there for us. So thank you so much for that. God bless you. Okay, let's go and uh, fellowship together over some teas and coffees and have a blessed week.